is Nicholas Burton from Kansas City, Missouri. Thank you for listening to the Crown Rest Podcast. Show the game. Okay, so as far as the IPR goes itself, um, I mean, I thought it was excellent. That was exactly what I was looking for. I mean, it couldn't have been better. Um, I, Like I said before, when you help people with their IPR, I like the way that you convey the information to them. And then, are you originally from New York, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. from New York. Oh, so that north, that upper northeast, you all are very direct. <laughs> and I, I can handle that. Like, that's, you know, how I was coached. Um, that's how a lot of my coaches were. My high school coach was kind of like the Bobby Knight of high school, you know, at that time in my area, in my era. So um, the way you gave it to me direct and, you know, telling me that it was soft and that it was weak, I completely agreed. And I'm <laughs> like, not, like once I read the report and then I'm watching myself, I'm like, I was really presenting this on, on film. Like, like you said, I'd have a strong call at the spot and then I get to the table and it's like, I didn't want to be there. I didn't really care. Mm. And that was crazy to me. But that was one of the things I was telling you was that when I saw your video with the other young man, I had already taken some of those tips you gave him and started to put into my game. So even though I felt like that's an adjustment I started to make, it was still good to see it for myself and to have somebody else tell me, like, you look weak, you look soft. So that was good. Well, I'm glad that you have the humility to take, I don't even call it criticism, the feedback. You're here, obviously, because you want the information to help you get better. Um, So I appreciate you, you know, allowing us to kind of take your game and use it as a learning platform for obviously yourself, but for everybody else listening. So that says a lot about you. Yeah. What else um, in your notes do you want to start with? What stood out? Um, I mean, the main thing as far as my notes go, I just kind of went through each of the each of the timestamps that you had mm-hmm. as far as, um, you know, what the plays were and just kind of discussing those. But um, the mechanics was really the biggest thing. I, I liked the mechanics video, and that was an area that I felt like I could get some improvement on, just uh, how to do certain things properly. Because the college block was one that we had talked about briefly that I did want to start incorporating in my games. And I actually was trying to, I I did the uh, uh, homeschool national tournament in Springfield this past weekend. So I was trying to get at least in the mindset of doing it and and get out of uh, doing the high school block, but I don't know how to do it properly. And I, I hadn't really been able to link up with anybody to show me. So that video that you gave me, it's something that I've already saved on my YouTube and I'll go back and watch several times until I can get uh, comfortable doing that the proper way and start incorporating it once I get back working uh, AAU games here in the next week or so. So Good. that was very Good. helpful. I'm glad that was useful. And just a quick tip, if you're transitioning from the open hand to the hips um, and then transitioning to the fist to the hips, mm-hmm. Or whether you're a person that normally does the fist to the hips, if you're looking to just strengthen it, a cue that I use is once I stop the clock, then my offhand mirrors, and that becomes my starting point for my block. Okay. Then it just goes right down, and then with a little bit of a bounce back. But I always thought that was a good cue because 
the fist on the stop the clock really is the start of a block. It's only, but only half of it. So let's just match it with the other hand and then take okay. to the hips. Okay. And then I saw you, uh, you, you took that step forward with the two. That's something that I've, uh, cause I was working with a lot of college official level guys and I actually befriended a division one college official. And he was, you know, talking to me about some things and showing some things, but that part I missed when watching them do the block, I would always kind of notice the arm movements, but that step is kind of key to making everything look synchronized. So that was very helpful. I'm big on footwork, just like athletes are big on footwork. Referees, you know, we don't talk about it a lot. We should be ha focused on the proper footwork to lead us into our call, mm -hmm. you know? So for me, you don't have to take a step with a block. I just feel it gives me a little bit of momentum and a little bit of swing into into my block to make it a little bit more believable and a little more crisp. So, yeah, you know, again, take what you like, disregard what you don't. Just trying to present different options for you. Um, what else are the signals do you want to run through? Because like, and I, and I know you summed it up. For example, you would have a, a great call on the spot. Everything looks strong. Then you trot to the table and it's not as sharp. It's not as, yeah, doesn't have that umph. Mm -hmm. um, your numbers look good. I thought your numbers, the way you, you put it through the box, you extended your arms, you know, you're tall and long. So I want you to be tall and long when you're presenting. So that was good. It's just your foul type that we need to improve. So yeah. I know I listed all of those different foul types. Have you been able to work on this at all or practice it? Yeah, the, the, the one that's going to be difficult, I'll be honest, is uh, the, the offensive charge. Mm -hmm. And going and just getting myself because one one thing I know I have a terrible habit of is not stopping the clock and just doing the punch. I didn't have any in that game, but I know that I do that because I can feel it. But getting myself to stop the clock and actually just going behind the head and doing and I've I've practiced it like in the mirror a little bit and just tried to get myself accustomed to doing both arms because that that's actually a critique that I heard before. Get being able to call a foul with both arms, do a violation, and, uh, you know, always keep your body open to the players in the court in case yeah. anything happens. Um, but that's just something that I'm going to have to mentally do in a game. Like, all it takes is a time or two, and then um, I get, you know, I get the rhythm of it. Because when I started changing my chop, because initially um, my chop was, like, to the side, so then I changed it to here because I kind of I liked how you went with that. But then after the IPR, um, I do agree with you that I'll be at the next level. So going with the, you know, yeah. with that, I think that looks a lot stronger. That's what I see a lot of guys do, regardless of, you know, what clinicians say. They don't ever really say anything about that. So that that's a great change that I'm going to go to. Good. And and as far as your offensive foul, let's let's hammer down step one first, which is stopping mm -hmm. the clock. That's yeah. something you have to just really slow yourself down in order to do. I remember that was one of my biggest challenges was stopping the clock on a block charge play or excuse me, on a charge and on an illegal screen and on a quick rebounding play going the other way. I would just come out and point for at least yeah. a year, a year and a half. Finally, I was doing CYO one, one day and I was probably doing five games, the fourth or fifth game. Finally, I had a, a charge and I'm like, boop, boop. And I'm like, oh my God, that was really hard. That took a year and a half to do. So, I mean, I get it. Building up muscle memory takes takes time. So let's just work on getting the fist up first into a point 
or whatever. That's the most important thing. Before we can worry about going behind the head and making your offensive foul look strong, we got to stop the clock. Because if we have a, a blarge um, or any other time a double whistle, it's going to give you, it's going to help avoid a blarge and it's going to give you more time to make the right call. Right. Um, your one in one signal, I, I know you were, I think you were a little confused because there's two ways we present a one in one. At the table, we just show shoulder width, normal one in one. And then when we go to the free throw line and we go outward to the side, you did a bit of a hybrid both at the spot and at the free throw line. I don't know if you were just confused or if, if you thought yeah, that. It, it's, it, honestly, it's, um, I'll, I'll just be honest, it's probably just laziness because that's what I see, you know, other veterans do. They're so casual with just, uh, you know, doing whatever. So I just follow suit. Okay, don't uh, follow unconsciously, right? Yeah. Don't I follow agree. the veterans that are that are happy and satisfied with everything yeah. you're doing and not looking to, you know, improve. Right. Doesn't it could be a veteran or a rookie? Doesn't just don't follow that type of official, right? So so on the spot, it's it's just a one and one. Then when I get to, it's yeah. full arms out. Okay, because so, because that, so, that's what I see. The book is full out, but like you said, yeah. uh, some of it's laziness, and then I'm like unsure. Like, well, nobody really. Ever, nobody's ever said anything to me about that until you did. And that's what I wanted mm -hmm. was a, an outside party, not from the area, no vested interest. Like you're not my assigner, but just to tell me like, Hey, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what is that? Uh -huh. So I'm, yeah, I appreciate I'm glad, that. I'm glad you came to the right guy. Yeah. So, so here's what I want you to do. When you call a foul on the spot and, and we're in the bonus, mm -hmm. foul, come right out with the bonus. Let everybody know one and one then point to your shooter. Okay. And then go report the foul, white 22, hits, one and one, and then go to the free throw line, let your partner know one and one, and then as you go to your spot, you just hold it there for a second as oh, the, okay. Okay. as one's you. dribbling the ball, then you start you. your count. But okay. back to what I was saying, showing that one and one bonus on the spot, um, you, you really run the game. You're showing everybody you're running the game and you're in full control. We know what's happening next. And even if you are the non-calling official, mm -hmm. come out with the one-on-one -on -one right away. Okay. That's part of being a great partner. And again, having that game awareness. Nick, you call a foul from lead and I know it's the sixth foul or it's going to be the seventh foul. As soon as you call that foul, do do one-on-one, one-on-one, Nick, here's your shooter. And you may do that too, but I'm going to, I'm going to just take that as a guideline, whether I'm the calling official or non-calling official. Okay. I think it shows next level game awareness. <clears throat> so the hit, push, and the hold were three of the ones that stood off really soft, right? And it just comes um, down to a matter of popping it at the end, whether it's your hold, you know, being a little bit higher up, popping it up at the end. Your push, we need more extension. So you're just not extending. You're just just tapping your hands. Yeah, those were, I mean. those were the... Um... The hold the push, and I think it was in my chop. Those were the three that I made adjustments to. Like when I saw that video posted that day, this was probably about three or four weeks ago. Now I started making changes. In I had like a, a sophomore game or something because they give me random stuff, mm -hmm. but I, I it tried to start incorporating it into that game right away and awesome. gradually. Like I've got those down a lot stronger. So awesome, great. Yeah. Are there any more questions about that part of the report before we go into the game notes? Um, nope, I think that was it. All right, well, unfortunately, we're having a little bit of computer issues today, so we're not going to share the screen. 
but you have the plays on your end yeah. and I have them on my end. We'll do the best we can to explain them for the people listening. Okay. Um, but the most important thing is me and you go back and forth and, and I give you any more clarity on, on these plays. So which play stood out? Uh, where do you want to start? I know there's a lot of times. Um, I mean, I just, I just went down the line and, and looked at all of them and just kind of, you know, Given my perspective on what I was thinking at that time, and then also some of some of these things are just kind of like a, a, a I don't want to say regional, but area thing. Like in Kansas City, this is just kind of what guys do, and that's just kind of how we run it. So, um, but the first play, thirty-seven twenty-three, we had a, a guy beckoning in for subs, and you saw my I, I chirped my whistle too when I put my hand up. I was asking for the ball from the kid because he started to he started to go the other way. And just in that moment, I felt like that was the only way I could really get his attention to get that ball back. It just looked so synchronized. I was like, I, I could understand what he was saying there. And then that flows into uh, 39-24. So if, if we have a foul like on the uh, end line and we're going the opposite way, they usually want this or uh, they usually want the C to bring those subs in and the the new lead to just go ahead and go down to his spot. So if you if you ever saw me calling for subs at the C spot as we're transitioning, that's why we do that. And I don't I don't know what other regions do. Um, okay. You know, could be. So. Yeah, it could be. I, well, you know, I just made the comment that we really only need one official beckoning the subs. I think yeah. it's one yeah. person job. The games I work, normally the table side official handles it. The closest yeah. to the table will handle it. Mm -hmm. um, but however you guys work it out in your pregame. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what we discuss. And then... Uh, uh, you know what? Since, you know, since we're not going to be looking at the plays, I think we'll just go through each note just so the audience can at least get a little bit of context of what we're talking about. Okay. Um, yeah, and then... I'll, so I'll read the timestamp, and you could give me any follow-up comments you have. So 34-28 to start the game. You know, after we've given our partners a good luck pound before the game, we want to hustle across the court yeah. together to okay. show a little pep. You know, you casually walk that division line with yeah. your hand in your pocket. Um, yeah, I, don't I was know. putting my I was putting my uh, mask away. Right, but again, this is me from the couch, just giving you my. Yeah, no, I agree. Right? I, I agree with that. That was that looked awful. <laughs> so if I'm if I'm looking to get to the next level, those are the little things that I I would agree with you, like. This guy's athletic, but he's just trotting out. Right, right. So, so now gonna... you're going to sprint out to start yeah. every game. Yep. yep. Um, 34-40, pointing the direction instead of pointing to the player and then pointing the direction. Simply just use your voice, point the direction. Um, and we're going to try to eliminate all the excess, excess signals, excess uh, movement. Um, so no need to point at the player. Do you remember why you point at the player on this play? Um, I think... Like I said, I think maybe that's just what I saw somebody do, or that's just what I picked up from somewhere. But I, I like the criticism of just pointing the direction and taking that out. Because I do use my voice with it. I, I'll say white this way, blue. But I like taking that extra layer out and just pointing the direction and then going with the toss. Yeah, we don't need to indicate who the ball is off of. As long right. as we indicate who's getting the ball, mm -hmm. they can ask you after that. But it's not like, oh, coach, it's off him. Blue ball, right? Yeah. So, well, no, I was I was talking about um, your point to start the game when I when I pointed at both players instead of okay, so you pointed yeah, at both yeah, players to yeah. then point yeah. their direction, right? Yeah, I like I like taking that layer out and just saying white 
this way, blue this way, and just keeping it short and sweet. Yeah. 628, I wrote too many counts. Um, don't be super quick to begin your closely guarded count. Wait a second. Um, wait a second before you start that, that one count. And, you know, FYI, closely guarded might happen once a season. I don't know, for me. So it's just not a commonly called violation, which is, which is not good or bad. But I'm saying we don't need to be in a super rush to then okay. go, go, you know, uh, count that, that violation that we're normally not calling. So it's just, you know, A1 gets the ball and it's just rapid. A1 yeah. dribbles, rapid. Yeah. A1 picks it up, rapid. Just slow everything down. A1 has it. He's got it for a second. Okay, there's my one. Slow. Dribbles it. Give it a second. One. Picks it up. Give it a second. One. Yeah. This way you don't, you don't look like you're rushing around on the court. Because mm -hmm. it just makes you speed up. It makes you look sped up. Okay. Um, 38-16 was a good sequence. You did a nice job rotating as the ball kind of gets stuck at the mid-court line. You were in lead. You put yourself in a really dependable position to then see the drive that came to you incidental contact nothing play on so that was a really good sequence we talked about the subs uh 41 36 your partner had a call the only reason why i'm commenting on your partner's foul on the clean block shot is to reassure you that you didn't miss anything on this play did you kind of because i know when our partners have a whistle we may disagree now we question ourselves like oh did i miss something there so i just want to make sure you didn't do that on that play no, I, I didn't think I missed anything. I thought whatever he had, maybe when that player, because I think he spent away from me and towards the sea, I thought maybe he saw something or had something. And then also, that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, the dilemma of working with those older guys. I think they, they know the game. They know how to call the game. But I think they're getting a little bit out of touch. And, you know, just as you get older, uh, things start to fail you. So I, I just think the vision – um, peace isn't quite there for them. And then their discretion on contact is kind of, you know, not the same as mine. So that's one of those where I'm like, hey, he, he's got to eat that. I didn't have anything. Right. 43-10, the 10-second count. But I, I, you started your 10-second count. It was basically a fast break. It was one second in the backcourt. And again, this is another not very commonly called um, violation. So we don't need to be in a super rush. It doesn't take a high priority over getting in a great position to see a fast break. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, the note I wrote down was like, unless we have like a dead ball or unless as soon as they throw it in, you know, the team just kind of springs a press or there's like a lot of pressure. I don't really need to have that. I think that does look excessive and it's like, all right, he's too mechanical. He's too by the book, do every single thing, mm -hmm. you know, the book ass instead of kind of going with the spirit of, some of the rules. So uh, I like that critique. Here's a rules and mechanics change. And I don't know why it hasn't hit the high school game yet. The NBA and the NCAA, we follow, we don't do a 10 second or eight second backcourt count. We just follow the shot clock. Yeah, I've the heard that. time I checked, a machine is better at counting than a human. Yeah, I agree. So why are we sitting here like trying <laughs> to give our version of what 10 seconds is? Let's go with the machine. Yeah. So I would recommend not even counting. If you're a high school basketball official listening right now, I would recommend not doing your 10-second backcourt count. For what reason? As long as we look at the shot clock, that's the best uh, counter, no? Yeah. Okay, good. 
Well, we also do, do you all have a shot clock in uh Okay, well that in, that in would the, answer why some states still like, have we, we don't we're, so we're, I think we're continue. getting to that point. Yeah, we're getting to that point where they're starting to ask us on surveys if we should incorporate a shot clock, but we don't have one yet. You don't have one. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sounds fun. All right, uh, 46, 49 to end the quarter. Uh, any reason why you didn't hustle over the half court line to score this goal? Because the at, where you scored it was from the three point line in the back court. Yeah, no reason. Just the, I think the way the transitions flowed, I, I think it just was the point where I was like, whew, you know, I was, I was tired and they happened to throw it down and shoot another layup. And then once again, it's just being too casual, honestly. There's no real excuse, just being too casual and not uh, really putting in enough hustle, just flat out. Yeah, so, you know, when, when we have the last second shot, you got to really show urgency there. So let's say, let's say the guy shoots it from around the half court and you are at the position you were. You still have time to sprint about 10 yeah, to 20 feet in. as the ball's still in the air or as it's coming through. By the time you're going to make that score the goal signal, you'll at least be in a somewhat decent position way yeah. more respectable position than where you were. So mm -hmm. I know you have the effort and urgency to, to, to hustle up next time, but yeah. just know the spotlight's going to be on you in that spot. So, you know, if I'm a coach and I look over and I see the calling officials 60 feet away, I'm, I might have something to say. Right. Um, we talked about holding the ball. I'm sure you heard me touch on this topic, but we looked so much better as officials when we just hold it up yeah, on a platter. You know, yeah, that was that was another change I had made from a, a video you had with another guy. So I, I like that one. And seeing it on film really even brought it more to light of how awful that looks. But that's one kind of holding it up, especially with me being long. But I've noticed since I started doing that, kids are unsure of when to grab the ball. Like any other time they're trying to yank it up when I'm holding it there. They're like. All right, so you, you're holding it? it too close to them. Maybe grab it in the other hand and don't allow them access to it until you present it, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and again, you don't have to hold it up up high. I made, an, I made a little edit to this. Um, where you, as long as it's in your palm, mm -hmm. hold it over here, hold it out here. But as long as it's in your palm, like you're carrying a tray, I think that's better than on the hip. Okay. Okay, we talked about chopping at the clock, 49-39, you had a great great no call. I thought you showed a high pain tolerance to allow this incidental contact to play on. Remember, think about pain tolerance, being a boxer, being able to take a punch, being able to take incidental contact without biting or calling a foul, you know? So, um, and that just comes with patience, um, trust in yourself, being a thousand percent. Um, so that was good, 51. 25, you had a block charge play. You had a, what you call it, a charge? Or I had, had a block. block. It, it should have been a charge because the question you asked was, what did the defender do wrong? Nothing. He had already established legal guarding position. All he did was slide, and I just I just went with a block. But it should have been a charge. Or I, I could have went with a charge on that easily. I agree. So were you watching? Let's find out why you called it uh, a block. Were you watching the defender the entire time? Well, I saw him go past the initial defender, and then he got right up on the second guy, and I saw the guy moving. And I know that as long as they've established legal guarding position, you can go side to side or backwards. I do know that. Just in that moment, I, I went block. 
Okay. I, I don't. I don't really have a rhyme or reason. I went block looking at the film. It, that was a charge. Well, I know it just sounds like you didn't get your eyes to the secondary defender soon enough. You're you're reffing the primary guy, right? As soon as yeah. he looks like it's going to be a blow by, that's when you got to shift and immediately pick up that second guy because you yeah. probably picked him up a second late, and then then it's more reactionary. It's like yeah. crash. Oh, he's moving. Block. Mm-hmm. So I understand, I've seen this play a thousand times and I've seen reps call it a block a thousand times. And I had to stop it and, you know, make sure because you have a better angle than me on film. But I just sent you that illustrated screenshot of the defender staying straight up right upon contact. So, yes, he's sliding left to the late, but on a dribble, I can slide left. Mm-hmm. As long as I've established the legal guarding position. So that's good. 56.05, mechanics and coverage. Try to avoid calling through the paint, especially when the potential point of contact occurs outside the block. So like further away from you on the outside, you might not have an open look. Do you agree with that? And what'd you see on this play? Yeah, so on this play, from from where the C was, the defender on the backside, they, the, that, that blue team, the, the, uh, the away team, they kind of had a habit of, wrapping guys up around the waist. So that's what I had from my side. I was able to see him wrap him up around the waist and that's what led to the ball being dislodged. So that's why I went with the hold. Okay, cool. So we put the arm around the back and kind of used it as leverage to pull. Yeah, yep, to get to that ball. All right. 58-43, travel, correct calls. The player takes an additional step after landing on two feet. Oh, so this is a hop step. Right, so a hop step, you go one, and then land on the two. You got to land on the two. You can't go one, one two. Right? Is that why you called the travel? Because well, no, he 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 did the hop step, but then he started like I don't know if he was trying to make his pass, but his back foot started sliding and he lost his balance. So that's when you know he he did the the extra movements that led to a travel. That's what I had on it. Or was it was it a hop step one two? And then he tried to establish a new pivot. Or did you have him sliding? I had him, I had him sliding. I was just trying to get the correct play in my in my brain because I thought there was because that would be a travel too. If I hop step one, two, I don't get a I don't get a pivot foot now. Right. All right. We talked about presenting a more confident push, just extending yeah. it out more. Block from the lead at 119. You have a strong presentation on the spot a clean run to the table. But again, that level drops as you report your foul. Yep. Uh, we will fix this in no time as you already have started to. So that's good. Yeah. 127, eliminating the excess. There's no need to indicate two shots on obvious shooting fouls. Again, this is just something extra. Are we supposed to do it? Probably technically so. Um, but again, on an obvious shooting foul, I don't think there's really a need to. Um, that, that was one also where like it um I don't want to say it's an area thing but like working with the type of guys I work with they prefer that extra communication because a lot of guys will get down there and, and like they'll see what happened and they'll still ask me like are we shooting two shots and then when I'm being evaluated they'll know like if, if I don't do that so I just always make it a habit to over communicate gotcha. in that situation so but I I you know I agree with you. If it's obvious, you shouldn't have to, but you know, I just <laughs> went in Rome is what I've been told. So I just try to follow suit. If you want to stay consistent and do that, that's great. I'm just 
you know, yeah. finding ways that we can kind of reduce you, but that's not a bad thing presenting two shots at the spot. You're right. over communicating, as you said. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you, you're going to run into less errors, right? So 128-22 to end the third, the center official correctly scores the goal before time expires in the quarter, but I'm just not sure why you also score the goal from the lead position. Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I, I looked at it several times and I'm like, I don't, maybe just subconsciously, you know, and, and it came out uh, awkwardly or, or it came outwardly, but I, I had no idea what I was doing. Great. Great. So, but that's the last time you're going to score the goal when it's not your primary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, you know? Um, and then just obviously be ready to score it when it is your primary. Mm hmm. Uh, one one twenty or one thirty twenty three. Report what happened. I did notice a, maybe a trend two to three times where you might not have reported the correct contact. Um, what what was this? I thought it was a push, but the defender. No, you reported a push, but the defender attempts to block the shot with one hand. Mm -hmm. Anytime they try to go with one hand, that's textbook hit to me. Okay. Hand to forearm is is a hit. Let's see my, cause see my thinking on that was he he tried to block the shot and he didn't hit him, but his momentum carried him through and that's what led to him being on the ground. Okay, so that's so that's what I have from my perspective. But I you know the way you explain that I you know I can also see that as well. Is this the rebounding? Foul. This is the rebounding foul, right? No, that's when he, uh, that's when the kid like was going to the basket, I believe on the left side in the second half. And he went up for the shot and uh, the guy tried to rotate over to block it and he ended up going to the ground. Okay, what was the part of his body that contacted him? Um, that's a good question. Like shoulder, <laughs> chest, hip? Uh, I, I just, uh, I, I think it was like, I think, I thought it was maybe like the off arm. Okay. Or something like that. Because I, I didn't I didn't see him, like, make any contact, you know, it, it, up top or anything. I just thought he, you know, came through and sent him to the ground. Well, normally the one hand I do think is a hit. But if we have a knockdown, it's very rarely that a hit caused a knockdown. Yeah. So, again, we're nitpicking. This doesn't – it doesn't really matter what, what the foul was. As long as we got the call correct. If you report right. a hit or a, or a hold, again <clears> – <throat> small stuff yeah but i don't want you to apply this into games moving forward where we're not reporting exactly what happened well no i agree i agree yeah 138.15 great coverage the center has the best view to see this contact from across the court you do a nice job coming in strong uh and and i put we have to fix the way you uh show your one-on-one -on -one. so we already we took care of that already any any other points on this play nope 147, a hit from lead. Good job. No calling the three bodies on the floor, mm -hmm. which they were all there legally <laughs> due to incidental contact. But the foul you called wasn't visible on film. So my question here is, and I'm not saying it wasn't a foul, did the loud no call maybe force you to blow your whistle a little too early on incidental contact? No. Uh, once, once they had finally secured the ball, um, you know, the white team was behind. They were just too aggressive trying to go for the ball. And I had a legal contact on the backside. Okay. So, like, you know, from that camera view, it was hard to see. But it was – I had a hold. Okay. Do, but you notice, you notice that happening sometimes where 
we have maybe two plays in one in the first play brought our awareness up, brought our radar up. And now the second play, we're a little jumpy. Yeah, I agree. It's a natural feeling. I, I had that last night where like bodies in the lane and I'm like trying to no call the next play, which I did and it was all good, but my, my sense of awareness was up. Yeah. So I don't want to be wrong and, and put something in the game just because like there was a loud play before that. Mm-hmm. So 151, run the game. We permit, what we permit, we promote. <clears throat> so if we don't establish uh, communication guidelines and the coach will create his own and then we have to play catch up. So I know in the illustration and it looked like a respectful exchange. However, it's just happening in the wrong location. It's on the other side of the court we've allowed the coach to cross the mid court line out of their box to have a conversation. Take me through this encounter. Well, um, the play before that we had like a loose ball and a scrum, but in the midst of that, the kid slipped on a wet spot and hit his head on the floor. So uh, I think the coach called a timeout because he didn't want that player to come out. So then uh, we were asking for a towel and at the beginning of that, he actually brought a towel out. And uh, the part where you stopped it, where we were having some dialogue, which I do agree that the coach, we shouldn't be having dialogue with coaches out the box. And that's, again, one of those um, small but big areas where I feel like I can have growth in. So I, I agree on your, your, uh, your, I agree on your take on that and the optics of it when you slowed it down and looked bad. But that discussion was just him handing me the towel. And I think he was asking me, did his kid hit his head? Or, okay. or something like that. But I need to still tell him, Coach, I'll come get the towel and, and take that authority because it's yeah. my court to mm-hmm. take that authority. So I, I, I still yeah. thought that was a great note outside of what took place. Right. And as soon as you see him crossing out of the box, whoa, whoa, Coach, I'll be right over to you. It doesn't have to be yeah. – there has, doesn't have to be tension around it. Mm-hmm. Coach, I'll be right there. Give me a moment. Make yeah. sure – let's make sure we, we speak in your, in your coaching box. Yeah, and I love that you said it's my court. You know, we we are the authority of the game. There's so many times that we just allow the coach to be the authority figure in the game when we're backed up by the rule book. Yep. You know, um, so that was good. I mean, I wish we had a, a we wish we had the 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 computer working so we could visually see the plays. But I think we hit on a lot of good points. I want to use this last 10, 15 minutes answer any other questions that you have or are there any other topics that you want to talk about um no honestly i i thought everything um let me double check and go back to the ipr i thought everything you sent me was great uh for the most part and i mean that was exactly what i was looking for and you you gave me some points that i wasn't cognizant cognizant of like physically aware but when i could actually see it and have someone tell me like hey or like you know some even some of the questions you asked me like what were you doing there and it made me look at the play and be like what was i doing there you know and and the level that i'm trying to ascend to i just felt like gaps and lapses like that i can easily eliminate by just you know being more alert and and just taking more onus of my craft, which is, you know, why I subscribe to your service. So appreciate you. Tell me about the rewatch. I know you rewatched your game last night. How was it with the IPR as an overlay? 
Uh, it was it was fantastic. I mean, you know, like I said, I got to actually put words with my actions and see that, you know, I had a strong call at the spot and then I get to the table and I'm just like, push, <laughs> he pushed him. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that just was such an eye-opening statement. Like I put this on film. This is what I was evaluated on by somebody. I don't know who, you know what I mean? And what did it prevent me from getting to? So um, things like that were just very helpful. And then also the clarity on uh, the one-in-ones, you know, just kind of seeing myself kind of just being laissez-faire, mm-hmm. you know, versus are we on one-on-one and then, you know, getting to the spot and, and everything having a pop. Let's make sure our one-on-one is straight. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, there you go. Okay. okay. Sorry, I had to make that little adjustment. No, that's, 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 that's perfect. <laughs> that's that's perfect. my... That's the way my brain thinks, man. As soon as I do these RP IPRs, I put the game on. I literally had three to four timestamps before you even threw the ball up. Just like the way you're standing, the way you're walking, I'm already getting all this uh, motivation, inspiration. So let me ask you this. You've been ref in 10 years. You're obviously very passionate about officiating. Why haven't you tried out for college yet? Um, you said hi, Nick. Say hi, that's Mr. Paul. Hi, how you doing? Good. <laughs> Welcome to the Crown Rush Podcast. Do something, Dad, to become a better official. Okay. <laughs> Your daddy's a good ref. <laughs> <laughs> Crown Rush. Um, Crown Rush is for the kids and the family. Oh yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, the reason I hadn't tried out for college just yet is just time-wise. I don't think I have the time for the travel. And then um, I didn't have a job where I could get off at two, you know, to be able to make the drive. And, you know, like you said, I have my son. So that was kind of my main focus. But I was looking to actually hit some college camp or at least one this uh, spring or this summer or whenever it is and start kind of that process. Cause like I said, I befriended a guy that's a division one official um, and he just opened my eyes to some more possibilities and gave me some more options that I didn't realize were available. I thought it was kind of an all or nothing thing, but there are some different things that I can do to start getting my feet wet and getting visibility on that side. So uh, we'll be looking to do that. Good. I know you have, you know, your, your job situation, but, but don't, but don't, you know, put up blocks before you know what the opportunity is. So, you know, you don't know if you'll be tied up. You don't know how far you'll have to drive or how much of an inconvenience it'll be. I know you have the talent to be a college official. I know you have the passion to do that. So I would love to see, you know, you go get your shot this summer. Definitely. Thank you. For sure. Um, and you said you were a former player, right? You played a little semi-pro? Yeah. Minor league, uh, played in the ABA. How was that? Uh, it was great. It was a, a learning experience about um, the being a player and then also kind of how teams are ran and how leagues fall apart. And I learned a lot. So it was good. Good, good. And where'd you play in college? Uh, I went to Penn Valley Community College and Park University on the short list, but there's a few other schools in there as well. I know about the short list. I've had a yeah. few, <laughs> few institutions on my resume. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, the biggest thing I wanted to highlight that you put is being more assertive and aggressive. And I think that's the final layer um, of me stepping up and, and becoming and, and, or getting into that upper echelon because I, I show it in, in fl- I flashes. But that particular game, I was actually the R 
Um, but, you know, whenever the coaches would talk, they would always go to the veterans. So that's one of those things where I'm trying to overcome is that regardless of how young you think I am or how inexperienced you think I am based on my look, I'm the R on this game. What do you need, coach? Yeah. You know, and they, and they know, all right, we need to go to that guy. That's who conducted the meeting. You know, that's who's handling everything on the floor. So uh, that was a, a good observation as well. Listen, being the R, the U1, or the U2, in my opinion, is one of the most under overrated aspects of officiating. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, we all need to be the R. There's yeah. three R's out there. Don't ever go approach the game like I'm the U1, I'm the U2. You're the R. We're all the R. And if you're not the R, you're the R. So, you know, the R is responsible for the pregame duties, administrative duties, checking the book. And last second shot. Besides that, we all have the same, same up, same job. Mm -hmm. You know, but it was a real pleasure, man. I, I, I'm inspired by your passion and uh, really appreciate all your support and all your kind words, man. I'm looking to help you out moving forward. Anytime you need me, just hit me up. Okay, thanks a lot. I greatly appreciate it. All right, Nick. We'll take care. I'll talk to you soon. Right, and I want to see you send me clips of the new and improved Nick Burton. All right, I got you. All right, brother. <laughs> talk to you soon. All right. Later, man. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game.